The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Minds of Madness podcast. Listener discretion is advised. early 2010s, home safe sales throughout the country of Greece began to skyrocket. In 2011, one store reported a 40% increase in just that year alone. Throughout the entire country, citizens were gripped by a very specific fear that the government would abandon the euro and revert back to its own currency, the drachma. This doomsday scenario would mean an almost instantaneous collapse of the value of any savings kept in Greek accounts. So many people started taking their euros out of the banks and hiding them in their homes. As a result, there was a dramatic and predictable increase in home robberies. Nevertheless, the practice of stashing euros and other valuables inside your own home remained commonplace. In 2021, national newspapers ran headlines about an Athenian couple living in a wealthy suburb who'd been robbed. But this story wasn't like all the others. The thieves had escalated their crimes from home invasion to homicide. Join me now as we examine the tragic murder of 19-year-old Caroline Crouch. You'll hear how a young mother living in Greece was murdered in her own bed during an apparent robbery gone wrong. You'll also learn how police launched a massive manhunt in search of a professional gang of foreign robbers, only to discover the truth was much closer to home. It's a tale as old as Hollywood itself. Boy Meets Girl wants her to notice him, and once she does, He'll do whatever it takes to win her affections. And it's the whatever it takes part that's led to some of the most memorable moments in the history of romantic film. This is what's known as the grand romantic gesture. And immediately, dozens of examples come to mind. Think of John Cusack in Say Anything, holding a boombox above his head, standing outside Diane Court's window, or Heath Ledger's character in 10 Things I Hate About You, serenading Julia Stiles at a soccer practice from the bleachers, singing Can't Take My Eyes Off You, with the marching band joining in. In the movies, these grand gestures have the power to sweep characters and of course the audience off their feet. But in real life, they're usually a bit harder to pull off than the silver screen makes it appear. However, in 2017, on the Greek island of Alonisus, 16-year-old Caroline Crouch was living what seemed like a scripted cinematic moment right at her very own high school. For starters, the high school itself is located in a veritable Mediterranean paradise, a picturesque Greek island 
surrounded by the crystal clear waters of the Aegean Sea. Water that shimmers various shades of blue and turquoise, while its numerous hidden coves make it a haven for swimmers, snorkelers, and ocean enthusiasts. Compared to other Greek islands, Alonisus is also surprisingly lush and green, a carpet of pine and olive trees covering most of the land. And one day, while Caroline was in school, she and her classmates heard a strange sound coming up over those trees. As it got closer, they could hear the unmistakable sound of a helicopter approaching. Soon, the pilot was flying right over the school, dazzling the students. And looking back down at Caroline from the cockpit was the pilot, the man who was trying to impress her. And it was working. It was also making the other girls at Caroline's class extremely jealous. The pilot, Babis Anagnostopoulos, a 29-year-old Athenian, possessed not only the skill to navigate the skies, but also the chiseled good looks of an A-list actor. When you put him side by side with Army Hammer, the resemblance is truly uncanny. Island locals have recounted how the pilot's grand aerial gesture wasn't just a one-time thing either. From time to time, Babis would fly up from Athens where he worked as a chartered pilot and flight instructor. He'd pick times when he knew Caroline would be on break from class or even fly over the students while they were outside on excursions. Almost everyone on the island had seen Babis buzzing the treetops in his helicopter. Four years later, in 2021, the entire island would again be talking about Caroline and Babis when they gathered together in a mountaintop cemetery overlooking the Aegean Sea. Along a row of graves adorned with perfectly polished white marble, a new headstone was erected with the photo of the deceased. It was a photo of Caroline Crouch, looking radiant, holding a bouquet of flowers, wearing her wedding dress. Before she was laid to rest, Babis, now 33, carried their 11-month-old daughter Lydia in his arms as he placed a single flower atop her mother's casket. More than half the island's 2,000 residents attended the tragic funeral, and there wasn't a dry eye to be seen. They all knew the story of how Babis and his 19-year-old bride had been the victims of a tragic and violent burglary gone wrong, with the killer, or killers, still on the loose. When Caroline's memorial service was held a month later, there still hadn't been any significant breaks in the case. By this time, the entire country of Greece was closely following the story and hoping for closure in what had become one of the most high-profile murders in recent memory. But with every passing day, it seemed less and less likely Caroline's murderer would ever be brought to justice. That is, until Caroline's memorial service, when detectives from Athens arrived on the scene, they had shocking news. Taking Babis aside, they informed him there'd been a break in the case and they needed him to come with them at once back to Athens to identify a potential suspect. Finally, justice for Caroline was right over the horizon. Just a mere 80 yards away from the cemetery where Caroline now lay was the childhood home she was raised. Born in Athens on July 12th, 
2001, Caroline Crouch was the daughter of parents David Crouch and Susan Delacuesta. David, a British citizen, was a retired oil and gas executive who also served a career in the British Armed Forces, while her mother Susan, a Filipino citizen, ran a cleaning service on Alonisus. In 2003, when Caroline was just two years old, the family moved into their island dream home on Alonisus overlooking the ocean. The kind of location millions of people around the world fantasize about retiring in. But for young Caroline, her island home became the perfect place for her to flourish and explore her youthful aspirations. By age three, Caroline had already taken a particular shine to the ocean, learning to swim amidst the island's fairy tale beaches. Before long, she was a certified scuba diver and an expert ocean kayaker. If there was an activity to be doing outside, it was a safe bet that Caroline excelled at it. She also wasn't afraid of putting in hours at the gym, even earning herself a black belt in kickboxing. As a teenager, she was known for competing in 10K island races and usually beating most of the boys. But her impressive qualities weren't just confined to her athletic abilities. She excelled in the classroom as well, speaking four languages completely fluently. Greek, English, French, and her mother's native language, Tagalog. In April 2017, Caroline joined the other islanders in a candlelit procession to commemorate Good Friday. And it was then she first met Babas Anagnostopoulos, a charming good-looking man, 13 years her senior. At the time, Babas was just in town to spend some time at his parents' home on the island. But now, after meeting Caroline, he knew he found another excuse to return more often. Before long, Babas began making special trips up from Athens to fly his helicopter over Caroline's school. At first, he claimed he was disappointed by her young age, but he must have overcome his apprehensions, because within the next year, while she was 16, their relationship progressed from platonic to sexual. Caroline's parents, however, were unaware of her increasingly serious relationship with the much older pilot. Because Caroline had been keeping herself so busy with schoolwork, exams, and other activities while performing well in all of them, her parents never had a clue just how involved she'd become with Babis. According to Caroline's father, she never stayed out late, and they hadn't detected any changes in her behavior. But secretly, Caroline was falling head over heels for the man who swept her off her feet. And by 17, Caroline was also hiding another secret. She was pregnant. However, just three months into the pregnancy, Caroline suffered a miscarriage. Her parents, still completely unaware. Around the time of her 18th birthday, Caroline asked her parents' permission to go on holiday to Portugal. In an interview with the Daily Mail, David stated the request came as a surprise to him, but nevertheless, they agreed she could go. We don't know whether or not David and Susan knew that Babis would be in Portugal as well, but what we do know, they had no idea what Babis and Caroline had planned to do during their holiday. On July 15th, 2019, just three days after her 18th birthday, 
Caroline and Babis were married in Portugal in a small ceremony on the beach. And when they returned to Alonisus, her parents were shocked. In fact, when Caroline told them about the marriage, it was the first time David Crouch had ever actually met his brand new son-in-law in person. The obvious elephant in the room between Babis and Caroline was their considerable 13-year age gap and the young age at which their relationship began. Without pretending to be an expert in Greek social dating norms, what we can say is the national age of consent in Greece is 15 years old and that women must be 18 to get married. It's also worth pointing out that the age difference between Caroline's mother and father was even bigger than hers and Babis, David being a full 21 years older than Susan. David later told the Daily Mail that he was immediately impressed with Babis after meeting him. He liked his personality, stating that Babis seemed quiet, shy, and self-effacing, not characteristics commonly found in Greek males. After their wedding, Caroline and Babis moved to Athens together, where they set up home inside a suburban apartment. And within months, Caroline was again pregnant and enrolled at university studying statistics. In June 2020, less than a year after getting married, the couple welcomed their daughter Lydia into the world. In December, when Lydia was around six months old, the family welcomed another wonderful addition a three-month-old husky puppy Caroline named Roxy. To help the happy-growing family, Caroline's parents gifted her and Babis 70,000 euros so they could purchase property in another Athenian suburb. A piece of land, the couple was planning to build their dream home together. On May 6, 2021, the paperwork was signed and the land purchase was completed. And everything it seemed was going their way. But just five days later, tragedy struck. Around 4.20 in the morning on May 11th, Caroline's next-door neighbor Lila was awoken by a strange sound. Lila and Caroline had become fast friends since moving in next to each other, and Lila could tell that the noise was coming from Roxy, Caroline's now seven-month-old pet husky. To her, it sounded like the puppy was crying. Not exactly uncommon for a young pup, so not thinking much of it, Lila fell back asleep, only to be woken up again just two hours later by the sound of her cell phone ringing. When Lila answered the phone, she could hear on the other end a man's voice. It was Babis, but she couldn't make out exactly what he was saying. His voice was muffled and extremely distressed. After waking up her husband, Lila made her way outside to go check on the family next door. But as she stepped out of the door, the sight of police cars filled the street. What Lila hadn't known was that just minutes before she received the call from Babis, he'd placed another call to Greek emergency services. And just like with Lila, the operator wasn't able to understand almost anything Babis was attempting to yell into the phone. It would turn out that while making both calls, Babis's mouth was completely covered with duct tape. Painstakingly, the operator tried to get information from Babis as he continued to sound increasingly panicked and distressed. 
but the only semi-intelligible words that could be understood were his repeated cries for help and the words, ambulance, ambulance, ambulance. When police arrived at Babis's and Caroline's apartment, they discovered a horrifying scene. The home had been clearly ransacked, with many of the drawers emptied out. Upstairs, they found Babis on the floor, tied up and handcuffed, with tape wrapped around his neck, mouth and eyes. But thankfully, he was still alive. Heartbreakingly, it wasn't the case when they found Caroline. Not far from where Babis was found, they discovered Caroline, laying face down on her own bed. She'd apparently been strangled to death. Another distressing sight was 11-month-old Lydia, crying and sitting beside her lifeless mother on the bed, thankfully physically unharmed. When police untied Babis and freed his hands, he appeared to be in a state of shock as he got up and went over to where his wife's body was. He sat on the bed, gave her a nudge, and asked, Honey, are you okay? The police had the unfortunate task of informing him that Caroline was deceased. And then, if things couldn't get any worse, police discovered the family dog, Roxy, had cruelly been murdered as well, hanging from the third-story banister by a leash around its neck. Outside, Caroline's neighbor, Lydia, watched as Babis walked out of his apartment and then saw baby Lydia being carried outside in the arms of a police officer. When she learned about Caroline's death, she was quoted as saying, she lost the ground from beneath her feet. Back on the island of Alonisus, Caroline's parents had just finished eating their breakfast when they learned about what had happened to their daughter. Several of their neighbors and friends had knocked on their door to deliver the tragic news. David told the Daily Mail that it was as if an icy hand had reached inside my chest and gripped my heart. It was the worst day of my life. In the aftermath of Caroline's murder, police began their investigation by asking Babis to tell them what had happened that morning inside their apartment. According to Babis, he and Caroline had been sleeping when a gang of three burglars entered their home. Caroline, he said, had tried to defend herself, but was overcome before being tied up and forced onto the bed. The attackers tied Babis up at gunpoint, wrapping tape around his neck, mouth and eyes so tightly that he periodically lost consciousness during the prolonged attack. The motivation for the intrusions, he claimed, was robbery. Apparently, the gang was aware the couple had been given a large chunk of money recently, presumably the 70,000 euros to buy the property. According to Babis, the robbers demanded to know where the money was hidden, and Babis willingly took them exactly where to find it, downstairs, hidden in a Monopoly board game box. After finding 10,000 euros in the box, the intruders apparently refused to believe that was it and believed the couple were hiding more cash somewhere else in the house. Though his eyes were covered with tape, Babis said he could hear the gang threatening Caroline behind him, telling her they'd murder her child if she didn't tell them where the rest of the money was hidden. They even pointed their guns at the baby to get their point across. For over an hour, the thieves ransacked the house, 
looking for more money they would never find. And then, Babis was no longer hearing the sound of his wife's voice, only the sound of Lydia's cries. Fighting against his restraints, Babis was somehow able to loosen his bonds just enough to access his cell phone. And though he could only see a small sliver between the cracks and the duct tape, he managed to dial emergency services and then his neighbor Lila, using only his nose. Within 48 hours of these tragic events, news of Caroline's murder spread like wildfire. Not only was it the nation's leading headline, but news services from around the globe were already covering this sad and horrific story. Needless to say, the pressure on Greek police to solve the case was immense, and they were already doing their best to assure citizens they had everything under control. But despite getting valuable information from Babis, the crime scene itself offered little evidence as to the identity of the attackers. During the investigation, police found a CCTV camera inside the couple's home, but to their disappointment, they discovered the memory card had been removed. Police also hoped that the intruder's DNA might be discovered under Caroline's fingernails. But after thorough examination, no usable DNA was discovered. Neither were any incriminating fingerprints discovered anywhere inside the house. Police combed through hours and hours of surveillance footage from outside cameras in the area, looking for vehicles whose movements might correlate with the estimated beginning and ending of the attack. But the detectives were completely stumped when they couldn't seem to find any vehicles that matched the time frame. It was theorized that the perpetrators had parked far away, walked on foot, deliberately avoiding cameras, and had possibly used double gloves to hide their tracks. Just two days after the murder, a police officer revealed to the media that they know who'd been responsible. The officer claimed the attackers were a well-known gang of professional robbers, known for their strong antisocial element and complete lack of emotion. The only thing now was to catch them. Three days after making the statement, a 36-year-old Georgian national was arrested while attempting to cross the Greek border on a false passport. He was already wanted in connection with another recent robbery near Athens, just four days before Caroline's murder. One that had taken place near the same suburb Babis and Caroline had purchased their new property. During that robbery, the Georgia man had been just one member of a gang of five who'd beaten up an elderly couple before robbing them. His DNA had been recovered from the scene. Nevertheless, authorities were forced to let the man go when they were unable to match his DNA with anything found at Babis and Caroline's home. During the investigation, Babis cooperated with police on a seemingly daily basis, answering their questions and giving descriptions of the robbers. He was equally cooperative with the media, giving several impromptu interviews and making social media posts, going out of his way to express his gratitude to police, as well as the multitude of people around the country offering their condolences. They have as much as they could gather, and right now, every day, there are 10, 15, 20 officers on the streets investigating. That's what I know. They are constantly in touch with me. I've helped as much as I can. 
If there's anyone that can find them, it's these guys. They were so cruel. Didn't they care about your pleas? They tied us up, and from that point on, we had already told them where the cash was. I don't know, I can't. When did you realize your wife was dead? When the police untied me. When the police came into the room and took the material covering my face off me. And your daughter? My daughter, thankfully, is not hurt. We took her to the hospital just to be sure and she is fine. After five weeks of investigation, the public began grumbling about the lack of progress. It seemed police were just spinning their wheels, chasing down phantoms, mysterious gangs of professional robbers no one could seem to identify. Even Babis was growing disillusioned and specifically took umbrage with police when they began asking whether or not Caroline had any life insurance policies. After all he'd been through, he was offended they'd ask him such a question. Yet, despite the apparent lack of progress from police, behind the scenes, away from public scrutiny, investigators were quietly making significant progress. Despite the seemingly stagnant investigation, in fact, they'd uncovered a treasure trove of evidence, evidence that all pointed to just one man. So on the day of Caroline's memorial, officers waited for her service to finish before approaching Babas. They told him they needed him to come right away with them to Athens. They knew who the killer was and wanted Babas to help them make a positive ID. Willingly, Babas went with the authorities. But if he'd known what they'd really discovered, he might not have gone along so easily. At the beginning of the investigation, there was a mad rush by police to find Caroline's killer, one fueled in part by the intense media frenzy surrounding the more sensational aspects of the case. And at first, their best source of leads and clues was, of course, Babis, the only eyewitness to the crime. To the outside world, Babis and Caroline's life, marriage and family was presented as nothing short of a deal-like. Both of their Instagram accounts were filled with picture-perfect moments. A beautiful couple in beautiful places, showing off their Insta-worthy life. But not long into their investigation, detectives began discovering clues which led them to reconsider the couple's outward-facing image. And once they began questioning the strength of their relationship, they began questioning the reliability of the information Babis had been providing them with. It all started when detectives discovered Caroline's secret, a very well-hidden diary, carefully tucked away beneath several shoeboxes in a closet, which quickly led them to believe she must have been hiding it from Babis himself. Who else would she have been hiding it from? The diary revealed that Babis and Caroline's relationship was far more contentious than anyone had known. In the diary were pages of entries documenting nasty arguments between the couple, with Caroline even admitting to hitting Babis at times. Throughout many of the entries, Caroline places much of the blame on herself for being hormonal during pregnancy. But by late 2019, she had begun contemplating leaving Babas. In the summer of 2020, when their baby Lydia was just one month old, Caroline recorded in her diary that she told Babas she was considering leaving him. While this information cast things in a new light for police, 
Babis and Caroline certainly weren't the first couple in history to keep their disagreements private. Beginning in November 2020, Caroline began seeing a mental health counselor, an arrangement set up by Babis, who told the counselor she was suffering from postpartum depression. But once the counselor began their sessions, she discovered that Caroline's hormones weren't the cause of her mental health crisis. Instead, it was Babis. According to the counselor, Caroline revealed Babis to be a manipulative, possessive, and totally controlling husband. She would later state that Caroline lived under his complete control 24 hours a day. She was locked in the house. She could not go anywhere without his permission. And when she had to go out, Babis always called the same taxi that a friend of his had. Caroline complained that Babis was isolating her from her friends and had placed a tracking app on his phone so he knew where she was at all times. By January 2021, Caroline revealed to her therapist that she was becoming suspicious Babis was having an affair. She noticed he was frequently absent from the home and believed something must be going on. And then, right when the counselor believed she was beginning to make progress with Caroline, suddenly the session stopped. A decision the counselor believed was actually made by Babis and not Caroline. So far, everything police were learning about Babis was entirely circumstantial. Sure, he was looking less and less like the perfect golden husband portrayed by the media. But that didn't prove anything one way or another. However, once police began looking at Babis like a suspect, instead of an eyewitness, they finally hit the jackpot. Because on Babis's cell phone, they discovered he had an app that tracked all of his steps throughout the day. And when they took a closer look at that data, from the time frame of the alleged robbery, they found a massive discrepancy. According to Babis, he'd been handcuffed, tied up, and taped up during the entire break-in, which, according to him, had begun between 4.30 and 5 a.m. But his step tracker told a different story. It showed Babis moving up and down three flights of stairs throughout the house repeatedly between 5 and 6 a.m. Something was definitely not adding up. The biggest break in the case occurred when police discovered there'd been another witness to the murder, a silent witness, a witness Babis hadn't even realized was in the room, Caroline's smartwatch. Like Babis, Caroline liked to track her physical activity, and she wore a biometric watch that tracked her heart rate and transferred all the data to an app on her phone. The data showed that Caroline was sleeping soundly, with a steady, low heart rate until exactly 4.05 a.m. At that very instant, Caroline's heart rate spiked dramatically, awoken from sleep to an extreme state of stress. And for the next six minutes, the data shows Caroline's heart rate getting progressively slower and slower and slower until it completely flatlined at 4.11 a.m. And not only did this data show the attack on Caroline had occurred much earlier than originally claimed by Babis, it completely destroyed his claims 
that Caroline had been tortured and interrogated by the supposed robbers for over an hour. The final piece of the puzzle came together when detectives were able to ascertain that the memory card from the family's CCTV camera had been removed at 1.30 a.m., which meant it hadn't been taken by any alleged thieves, but rather by someone who was planning to commit a crime that didn't want it captured on video. From Caroline's memorial service on Alonisus, Babis flew in a helicopter with police back to Athens. They told him they'd arrested a suspect and needed Babis to identify him. But once he got to the police headquarters, Babis realized the suspect was him. Police then confronted Babis with all the evidence they'd discovered. The diary, the smartwatch, his step tracker, and the time-stamped memory card on his CCTV camera. Faced with the overwhelming evidence, Babis decided to confess. According to Babis, it all started when a vicious argument broke out between them the night before the murder. In his words, Babis claimed, that night we'd been arguing from early on. At some point, she threw the child in her cot and she told me to get up and leave the house. She pushed me and punched me. My judgment became blurred. I strangled her, and then I staged the robbery. He further admitted to killing Caroline in her sleep because she was a kickboxer. He didn't want to have to fight her. Instead, he approached her as she slept and then smothered her for six minutes by pressing a pillow over her face. Babis then went on to admit that everything he did afterward was an attempt to avoid prison time and to be able to raise his daughter so she wouldn't lose both of her parents. After murdering Caroline, Babis meticulously set up staging the elaborate crime scene, which accounts for the repeated trips up and down the stairs on his step tracker. In a cruelly calculated move, that's also when Babis decided to kill the family's pet puppy by strangling it and then hanging it from the banister. In Babis's own confession, he admitted to killing Roxy in order to cast suspicion away from himself. He thought that no one would ever believe he was capable of killing his own dog. They were wrong. When police announced to the nation they'd taken Babis into custody, the entire country reeled in shock. The idea that Babis had duped and conned everyone into giving him their sympathy was incomprehensible. Suddenly, Babis went from being the most sympathetic figure in all of Greece to being the most reviled. When Babis appeared at court to face charges, he was escorted by 20 armed police officers while wearing a bulletproof vest. The crowd that had gathered outside hurled insults and expressed their anger and at one point even chanted together, Rod in prison. During trial, Babis pleaded manslaughter, claiming that his decision to kill Caroline had been impulsive rather than premeditated. According to his testimony, He'd initially gone to Caroline's bed to wake her up and patch things up. He claimed he tried to hug her, but Caroline had rejected it 
And this was the moment that had set him over the edge, making it a crime of passion. The evidence, however, told a very different tale. And when it came to premeditation, purposefully removing the memory card from the home's camera three hours before the murder was a pretty good indicator. The jury heard all the evidence, including the diary entries, testimony from Caroline's mental health counselor, and all the damning data gleaned from Babis's and Caroline's phones. In the end, the jury was not convinced by Babis's crocodile tears and found him guilty of premeditated murder and sentenced him to life in prison, the harshest penalty allowed in Greece. He was also given an additional 11 years on top of his sentence for brutally murdering his puppy as well. During trial, the prosecution argued that Babis had decided to kill his wife because she decided to leave him and take the child, having already suffered for years under his complete manipulation and control. But earlier that year, Caroline's father David claimed to have new insight into the real motivation behind the murder. According to an interview with Antenna TV, David claimed he'd received a fully typed confession letter from Babis in prison explaining the true motive behind the murder. In the letter, David claimed Babis confessed to getting involved with a drug smuggling gang operating out of a restaurant close to where he'd lived. And when Babis told Caroline about his plans to help smuggle drugs via helicopter, that's when Caroline tried to leave the relationship. Fearing that his life was now at risk, if Caroline told anybody about his plans, Babis decided to murder his wife and silence her forever. However, it should be noted that these claims made by David have not been verified. And as far as we know, the alleged letter from Babis has never been made public. At the end of the sensational trial, after all the headlines were written, the cameras had gone away and the nation had moved on to the next news cycle. There was one person for whom this tragic story would never fully be over. The now two-year-old little girl who lost both her father and mother forever. In the aftermath of the trial, Caroline's parents, David and Susan, had fought for full custody of baby Lydia. Susan spent her days raising her granddaughter as her own, even giving baby Lydia the same bedroom Caroline had grown up in. Within a year of the trial, however, David and Susan decided the best course of action was to take Lydia as far away from the presence of her father and tragic history as possible. They've since relocated as a family to Susan's hometown in the Philippines. Now Lydia lives a happy life, surrounded by her loving cousins and extended family. But David and Susan both know that one day, they will have to tell Lydia the horrific truth about her past. In an exclusive interview with the Daily Mail, David said she is two and a half years old and has no concept of the idea of death. At some point in the future, she will wonder why she is so unlike her cousins. She has European features and curly mid-brown hair. And while they know this moment must be met with sensitivity, they also feel a tinge of beautiful anticipation. Because for the first time, they'll be able to tell Lydia about how wonderful a person her mother had been. 
He went on to say, One day I hope to tell her stories about her mother, of her escapades, of her European travel, of scuba diving, of kickboxing, of canoeing with the scouts, and running marathons. I hope to show her photographs of her mother, taken while she was a child, to whom she bears a striking resemblance. You ask about special talents. The one talent she's evidently inherited from her mother is the ability to charm everyone that comes into contact with her. And now I'd like to introduce the podcast, The Midnight Train Podcast. Hello, my name is Jonathan Sayer, and I host the Midnight Train Podcast. You may know me from my 15 seconds of fame on the hit history channel show, History's Greatest Mysteries, but probably not. Look, there are a lot of great true crime, cold case, and mysterious podcasts out there. I mean, you're listening to one right now. However, we're a little different. Okay, we're a lot different. We're more of a palate cleanser, if you will. We find and discuss unsolved and curious happenings from all over the world, from true crime, like the Hinterkaifeck murders, to the Antikythera mechanism, but with a large helping of salt and an often warped sense of humor. Join me and my numerous co-hosts as we grab a drink, take our seats, and take this crazy train across the globe. I know we're not everyone's cup of tea, but if you pour a shot of bourbon into it, we just might be yours. That's the Midnight Dream Podcast, America's second favorite podcast, probably. Maybe. I don't know. Listen every week and wherever you find your favorite podcasts, like this one. Follow the Minds of Madness on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, extra content, and Patreon-exclusive episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. To find us on Instagram and Facebook, search The Minds of Madness, and on Twitter using the handle at madnesspod. And also, by checking out our sponsors and using our promo codes, you're also helping support the show. We've got all the links in our episode notes. So until next week, Thanks for listening.